Hey friends, it's Mark James and today is Tuesday. Tuesday. That's right. I've got a lecture tonight, which is going to be fun. I'm currently sitting kind of close to the hospital. Sarah is having her three-month checkup. Can you believe that? Since we were fully shitting ourselves and she had a, you know, whole what's it called, diagnosis and operation and all of that for the cancerous mole that was on her back. It has been three months. That's wild, isn't it? And thankfully, uh, it seems she's okay, but she's having the checkup now. But I suppose at the minute, it's just like a scar checkup and all, you know, there's no, there's literally nothing bad that can happen today unless they check and she's got some lymph node growth or something like that. Then of course that can be bad. And, you know, I know people to whom that is happening. So you have my you know, for what it means, love and support, because it is a shitty thing to happen. It feels horrible and it's desperately worrying. And it's funny, I noticed that the people who have it are usually very resigned to it, but the people around them, it's terrifying. You know, it's a strange, you can never really know how it affects somebody. One thing I have to say is that the hospital have been very good in their general dealing with it, <clears throat> although the apparent mental health calls that we were supposed to get that Sarah had, you know, said to the woman, can my husband have them instead of me? They have not happened. So there's been quite some lapse there in, in function, whether that's to do with the fact that nobody's at work and COVID and all of that, but who knows, but we haven't had any calls checking on our mental health. Thankfully though, we don't need it because we're very bright and breezy as things are basically okay. So Sarah's getting checked out. I'm sitting in the car park of a supermarket uh, waiting. I took Joshua to school this morning, got up, got dressed, took him to school in the car, drove home, didn't go back in the house, just immediately began my walk. Did the full walk just over three and a bit hours. Got home, brewed up in the Chemex, drank a full uh, cup of black coffee, which I now enjoy. I've done it. I've transferred to black coffee. I remember when I used to drink tea, and I used to have two, that by the way, that sound of sirens, I would assume is going to be a fairly common occurrence considering we're sitting outside of a hospital, just to let you know. Um, I remember when I used to drink tea and tea would be two sugars for me. I grew up tea with two sugars because I suppose that's what my mum had, tea with two sugars and still does. And there, well, I think she's down to one now. And then I remember Sarah once saying to me, let's try stop having sugar in our tea. And we did. And, and people who don't have sugar in their tea, I mean, there's always those wankers that say, no, thanks, I'm sweet enough. I hate them. If you're one of those people, you need to stop it. The two things you need to stop are saying that joke and saying that joke as if you're the first person who's ever said it. <laughs> Because <laughs> people don't just say it, do they? They say it like the person they're saying it to will never have heard it before and they should laugh. And you guarantee when they don't laugh, it's just a horror, it's shit. Just stop doing it. Do you, want, do you want any sugar in that tea? No, thanks. I'm sweet enough. <laughs> you're not. You're a dickhead and you're not funny, so stop it cause a lot of profanity in this episode. I'm glad I'm a bit more awake than yesterday. God, I was tired yesterday. So tired. I slept like a log. I don't know why we say that. Logs don't sleep. They're inanimate. But we say, I slept like a log. Maybe it means still, but I very rarely sleep still. I had a dream where I'd murdered somebody. 
<laughs> but I was also a policeman. It was a bit of a Dexter-type dream, but I was living in Nashville, and I was really happy about the fact that I lived in Nashville. And I don't rem when I say I dreamt that I'd murdered someone, I didn't dream about the crime. Uh, I just dreamt that I was a police officer, and I enjoyed it, and I was good at it. But I knew that I'd murdered someone, but I didn't in the dream know how or why or any of that stuff. I just had this kind of enduring fear of being caught for the murder that I did. But I have no information about who I'd murdered, why I'd murdered them, any of that stuff. I just knew that I was worried about being caught for murdering someone. So make of that what you will. But yeah, despite that, I slept like a log. <laughs> <laughs> then I woke up and I took Joshua to school, as I said, came home and had the coffee. Now, I've undergone the same process with that as I did with tea, in that I had regular coffee with sugar in, and then I managed to get down to having no sugar. Now, I will still have sugar at Starbucks or Costa on the very, very rare occasions that I get a coffee at one of those crappy places. If I get a nice coffee at a good coffee place, I don't have sugar. And the reason is, when you make a latte, you grind beans and then you put that ground coffee into a little thing which is called a porter filter. The porter filter is the little metal tray that's inside of the big spoon you've probably seen them using. It looks like a spoon but it has a handle. You know when they put that into the coffee machine and they twist it to the side? That's the porter filter holder being locked into the espresso machine because then when they press a tremendous amount of pressure in the form of water is going to be fired through the coffee and that boiling hot high pressured water strips the ground coffee of what you then see as being a pulled shot of coffee and that's how they get the coffee off the bean. However, what will often happen is they'll take the portafil out and they'll bang it on the side of the table to knock the used coffee out and it will be empty. But without a proper rinse, little bits of coffee will be left behind. And those little bits of car, that is some shitty parking. They're never leaving the car like that. There's a car parked opposite me. It's some of the worst parking. Booths, because it's a bit expensive is generally known for having the worst parking ever because 90-year-old people drive their 20-year-old Mercedes <laughs> and park them in the car park on some of the worst angles you've ever seen. Anyway, so the shot gets pulled and if it's got tiny grains of old coffee in, then a shot gets pulled through old beans and then they burn and you know what it's like when you burn toast that you can't scrape it off the tiniest bit of burn ruins the flavor of everything else burntness is just a horrible flavor that it's almost impossible to get rid of but the way that you mainly get rid of it is by putting sugar in that sweetness combats the burn flavor and so that's why you probably put sugar in your coffee if you're used to getting it from starbucks and places like that because it makes it bitter it means that either the shot has been over pulled which means that it was left to um, sit for too long or if it was a pour over, or that it was um, slightly burned coffee. So, with drip coffee, which is essentially what I'm now having in a Chemex, you don't get that because you 
leave it for the right amount of time. Or when I make it at home, I clean out my porta filter properly. So I, I hope you're still following this. So because I clean it out properly, there's no bits of burnt coffee. So I learned that when I made latte at home, I didn't need sugar. It was sweet enough. There should be a natural sweetness in a good coffee bean, Arabica coffee beans. They're the lightest roast, you know, best quality. So you shouldn't need sugar in that. And then I realized that when I went to good coffee places, slightly more upmarket, non-chain places, you didn't need sugar there either. So, like with tea, I stopped having sugar. Then I thought, what if I could get a black coffee? Surely that's the ultimate. So I bought the Chemex, and now I do drip coffee in the Chemex. And after a few days of trying, I started with a few mouthfuls, then a half a cup. And now, within less than a week, I'm up to a full, I can drink a full cup of black coffee happily, and I enjoy it. So you get the full taste of whatever bean you've used and, you know, all those different flavors. And you're, it's the easiest thing to make and you don't need to get milk or any of that stuff. It's great. Milk, as they say in German. I haven't been using the German lessons for a while, but I need to get back on with it. So anyway, that's the day. That's murdering someone and that's pour over coffee. I'm now going to do the poem. Now, today's poem is inspired by, because it was suggested by my friend uh, Alex and... Uh, What's it called? <laughs> Sarah just texted me to say that um, her... <laughs> My wife has got quite a dark sense of humour and so have I. And she just texted me to say that uh, when they checked her info at the hospital, her mother was next of kin. Now, Sarah's mother is unfortunately no longer with us and uh, greatly missed by my son. I have to say he talks about her often uh, because she de really, truly loved him and he really, truly loved her. They had a very uh, nice bond and uh, he does. He misses her. And... Um, he used to love going to stay there. I mean, he still loves going to stay there as well when they can. Obviously, coronavirus has really asked that up because he loves Sarah's dad and her sister. And, you know, they get on great too, which is a lovely thing. But uh, her mother is, as I said, unfortunately no longer with us. And uh, Sarah said, they've got mum as uh, next of kin. And uh, Sarah said, well, you can try and contact her, but she won't answer. <laughs> which is funny. Got to find some, some laughs in tragedy, haven't you? So that is funny. But uh, apparently now I'm the next of kin. I should have texted back. Well, they can try and ring me, but I probably won't answer. I don't answer withheld numbers as a rule. Anyway, uh, let's do the poem. So my friend Alex Foden, who, as I've mentioned previously on the podcast, has completed his degree. I'll tell you what, though. He said to me, I've finished my degree. And then every time I speak to him by a message, he goes, now my degree's just got to do this. Now it's got to get checked. Now it's got to get this. Now it's got to... Fuck me, how long does it take to finish a degree? He's finished about 12... Every time I speak to him, I'm finished my degree. But something else needs doing. Corrections and this and that. And there's a strange language around it. Just give this guy a degree. God. So anyway, he said to me, have you read Casey at the Bat? And of course, I have read Casey at the Bat. And I've contemplated it for this poem, uh, for this month. But God damn it, it's not an easy poem to read. It's a beautiful poem to listen to. But it takes a certain cadence, and it's about American baseball. 
Not that there's really any other kind of baseball. It's very much an American sport. But it's written by Ernest Thayer. And Ernest Thayer died in 1940. So it is a classic. It's a, it's an old poem. But it's called Casey at the Bat. Now I suspect Alex first heard it. Because of Penn and Teller. Because they used it for one of their routines. That's certainly how I first heard it. Despite the fact that I love poetry. And I do read a lot of it. I first became accustomed with this poem. Because of Penn and Teller. But... Let's, uh, let's read it now, and I'll try my best. Like I said, <clears throat> it is quite a difficult poem. So here we go. <clears throat> let's just check she hasn't messaged again. Oh, I've got a new message. Hang on. Oh, no, I haven't. It's doing that annoying thing where it says you've got a message, but you haven't. Anyway, right here comes Casey at the bat. <clears throat> the outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to two, but with one inning more to play. And then with Cooney died at first and Barrows did the same, a pall-like silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to the hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought if only Casey could but get a whack at that, we'd put up even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, as did also Jimmy Blake. And the former was a hoodoo, while the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude, grim melancholy sat, for there seemed but little chance of Casey getting to the bat. But Flynn let us drive a single, to the wonderment of all, and Blake the much despised tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted, and men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second, and Flynn a hugging third. Then from five thousand throats and more there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley, it rattled in the dell. It pounded on the mountain and recoiled upon the flat. For Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile at Casey's face. And when responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat. No stranger in the crowd could doubt, t'was Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then, while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, defiance flashed in Casey's eye, a sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching, it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches, black with people, there went up a muffled roar, like the beating of storm waves on stern and a distant shore. Kill him, kill the umpire, shouted someone in the stand. And it's likely they'd have killed him, had Casey not raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the dumb sphere flew. But Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, strike two. Fraud, cried the maddened thousands, and echoed, answered fraud. But one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain. And they knew that Casey couldn't let the ball go by again. 
The sneer is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favoured land, the sun's shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. That, my friends, was Casey at the bat. If you would like to hear a much better reading of that, as Alex suggested to me, and I've heard it before, James Earl Jones, who many of you will know as the voice of Darth Vader, but I know as the uh, unwitting accomplice and then, you know, um, sort of heroine of the story in many ways, of Field of Dreams, the Kevin Costner film, which is one of my favourites. It's kind of weirdly brilliant, that film, Uh, Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner. It's about baseball too. But James Earl Jones is in it. And he reads Casey at the Bat. Not in that film, but on YouTube. Go check it out, friends. That's today's pod. Oof. 16 and a half minutes. Long one. Suit you, sir.